0: Welcome back to What in the World. My name is Ryan, joined by Andre. Andre, there's a lot that's happened this past week, but first I want to say you and I are going to be reunited in person after a very long time, and I'm very excited for it. You're on your way to D.C.
1: next week. Yeah, I'll be flying to D.C. on Tuesday, Ryan. First time I'll see you in person in two years. So, folks, for the purpose of this podcast, we've never actually seen each other in person. It's all been done remotely. But uh, Ryan we got press passes to cover the aspen security forum being held in person in washington dc for the first time not in aspen colorado but in washington dc we'll be doing a lot of i think pull aside hopefully doing some pull aside interviews doing some coverage of the forum and we'll be there for those two days so it'll be a fun adventure
0: yeah i'm very excited uh, not only to attend the aspen forum but also to hang around dc uh, with you, it's it's quite nice in D.C. right now. It's cooling off. Uh, I'm enjoying the fall weather, and I'm ready for Halloween. I've already been eating Halloween candy, and I got my costume all picked out. Uh, what about you? Any Halloween plans?
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, then, hopefully everyone else listening has some something going on for Halloween. Maybe eat some candy corn, go
1: trick-or-treating, what have you. Ryan, you know what's not cooling off? Uh, China's missiles, because China just tested a hypersonic missile that can evade American nuclear defenses. So uh, our chairman, I'm just jumping right into it. Our chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, he basically said, quote, I don't know if it's quite a Sputnik moment, but I think it's very close to that. Basically, U.S. defense officials were very surprised. He said it was, quote, a very significant technological event and that it has everyone's attention. And I mean, I think certainly drawing the uh, parallel with this missile test and with Sputnik, again, for those of us who weren't alive or don't remember our history class or don't remember the actual event, uh, Sputnik was a big surprise to the American national security community. The fact that Russia was able to put up or Soviet Union was able to put up a satellite in the sky in space was a shock, showed that the USSR was way more advanced than we had anticipated And Millie saying that this is very similar to that, very close to that, illustrates just the same sense of surprise. It is a major breakthrough for China, the ability to create a hypersonic missile to evade American nuclear defenses. This is certainly a big issue.
0: And there were these two tests over the summer, uh, but one is reportedly not so successful and missed its target. So clearly they have not perfected the technology. Uh, But nonetheless, this is raising concerns within U.S. national security uh, circles and is something that the U.S. will likely be working with uh, both you know, the defense contractors and within the U.S. government to try to enhance U.S. missile defense systems and also work on our own hypersonic missile technology.
1: Yeah. Could it start a new arms race? Who knows? I mean, it certainly alerts the United States that we need to step up our game in terms of technology. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there
0: there certainly is efforts by China and Russia. Russia has also been working on these uh, hypersonic weapon systems. And so, Uh, I I don't see it really as an arms race at the moment, but there are certain technologies that are being developed um, from submarine technologies to missile technologies to even advancing nuclear technologies that are of concern and are are dangerous for the United States and our allies.
1: Well, someone who's used... This uh, this hypersonic missile launch that China's done for his own political gains was uh, Congressman Devin Nunes uh, on the House Intelligence Committee. He said, "quote We can't counter hypersonic missile launch with better pronoun usage and deeper understanding of white rage. Won't rescue Americans stranded in Afghanistan." Okay, so this was basically a committee hearing with the intelligence leaders. Uh, CIA Director Bill Burns was there. DNI. Avril Haines was there, and some of the Republicans on the committee during the hearing were attacking the intelligence community for emphasizing diversity and trying to go for a more diverse workforce. Nunes, of course, is uh, insinuating that, oh, this is detracting from our core national security priorities. Ryan, I did not know that the same people who were in charge of recruitment we're also in charge of creating missile defenses.
0: Uh, no, they're not. They're absolutely not. And so I, I can't believe this is something that some members of Congress are trying to just drill into whatever you know political conversation that was trying to be had, which was talking about diversity and inclusion within the intelligence community. Every time we talk to someone about diversity and inclusion on the podcast, they tell us time and time again, that the more diversity and inclusion you have, the better outcomes for protecting the country. And that's purely because in order for us to be able to protect the United States adequately, we have to have a variety of opinions and experiences so that we can better understand our adversaries. It's as simple as that.
1: I mean, I'm sorry, Ryan, with all due respect, uh, the white males are not going to be able to understand Exactly. With full cultural competency, what goes on in Sri Lanka, what goes on in the Middle East, what goes on in Africa, women, people of color, they have different lived experiences that will help with missions. And we often think, and we've often known, I think, from history's experiences that we have often focused on the wrong avenues, the wrong issues. Perhaps we've misunderstood religion, we've misunderstood certain tribal uh, Situations and so on, and that screwed up so many aspects of our foreign policy. So, I mean, I think the CIA director William J. Burns summed it up quite well, saying that quote, know, diversity and inclusion is not the only it's not only the smart thing to do for an agency with a global mission. It's the right thing to do for an agency that represents and defends our diverse society. Simply put, we can't be effective, and we're not being true to our nation's ideals if everyone looks like me." talks like me, and thinks like me. So, I mean, diversity, the the push for diversity is justified by the agency's focus. We want people who understand all these different countries, all these different regions, religions, politics, societies, cultures. It is exactly core to the CIA and the broader intelligence community's mission. Yeah, uh, again, I think Bill Burns hit the nail on the head uh, and this
0: is something we, we continue to talk about. And I hope at some point as time progresses that more and more people will come to realize that this is something that makes us safer. It's important. We need to emphasize it and make sure that we have a diverse and inclusive workforce across the U.S. government, not just in the IC.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we are not I mean, unfortunately, according to many articles, we have not hit the marks we want with diversity. I don't think levels of women participation in the intelligence community has risen all that significantly. Uh, People of color as well, it's not really risen all that significantly in terms of the workforce and the recruitment. It's a real big problem, and we had to fix it. Because, I mean, we've joked, Ryan, I think, time and time again on this podcast, half-joked that some of our guests have been part of a big white wall of men in terms of our roster. Uh, and, you know, they are all excellent. All of our guests have been excellent. They've all contributed to our country's national security, and they are true and true public servants. But we do need to have some different races, some different genders, some different religions as well mixed in there because we need a holistic assessment of our national security and our international security
0: yeah and if you listen to the biden administration officials they're saying that they're doing everything they can to increase diversity and inclusion and so it's getting better it has gotten better over time but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done absolutely ryan what what else do you have on your plate Yeah. So the first thing I want to hit on, Andre, is the coup in Sudan Uh, on Monday. There was a coup in Sudan. Another coup. Another coup. And so the the most recent coup uh, before the current one was in 2019, where uh, 30-year dictator Omar al-Bashir was ousted after a popular uprising and the military took him out of office. Uh, But now uh, there there was this um, power-sharing agreement between the civilian government and the military since 2019 that has been kind of rocky, and so we saw the military dissolve the civilian government, and the prime minister was arrested um, under house arrest. It seems like he has a bit more flexibility now. He's talked to other leaders around the world. But the top general,
1: Abdel Fattah al-Burham, uh, is leading uh, Sudan. Wow. That's... And, and Sudan's been a, bar- a country that's been prone to a lot of uh, conflicts and violence. I mean, of course, in the last decade, we saw the founding of South Sudan after that civil war, right? Yep. Uh, And this was also just the latest coup in the world, right? We've been seeing a couple of coups, actually, quite a bit lately. I mean, we saw, obviously, an attempted coup in our own country. Uh, As a matter of fact, we've seen some... uh, We saw, basically, a coup in Myanmar uh, over the past year or so or more. And, uh, Ryan, we were just talking about another coup in another country that... God help me, I can't remember the exact name because we've been tracking all these coups. But do you remember... Uh, Was it Guinea? Let me verify the coup in Guinea. It was
0: Guinea. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of unrest going on. But yeah, so there's this coup in Guinea. um, There's a new military junta. And so a lot of these countries around the world that have had either civil conflict, unrest, or have strong militaries or histories of strong um, security services are seeing these security services taking advantage of not only covid but also uh, political unrest and social unrest and economic strain. And so it seems like we're in coup season. Yeah, sadly
1: so. Uh, Ryan, I do want to pull our attention to India, because my little area of focus and your area of focus are sort of meshing together right now. Uh, As we all know, Ryan, you're the big Russia expert (laughs) for me. I guess I'm the South Asian guy, both ethnically and in terms of my expertise. (laughs) But uh, basically, uh, two U.S. senators have urged President Biden to avoid sanctions on India over a Russian deal. So this is Republican Senator John Cornyn and Democratic Senator Mark Warner. And they wrote a letter because India has been in this deal with Russia where India is going to purchase S-400 air defense systems. The United States, we did sanction perky over a similar purchase from Russia. But obviously, as we've talked about on this podcast before, the United States is trying to bring India over to its side amidst US-China competition, amidst the growing emphasis on the Quad and just Indo-Pacific strategy, right? Sanctions on India won't really help us accomplish that. Sanctions on India won't accomplish that. And again, the U.S. put these sanctions on Turkey, again, for buying this stuff from Russia as well. Well,
0: I'm actually going to slightly disagree with you, Andre, on this because I am, when it comes to the S-400, the reason why we sanctioned Turkey and we kicked them out of the F-35 program is because we do not want Russian technology in the hands of our allies. We want them to be able to use missile defense systems that are built within an allied network. And so that is, I mean, particularly concerning. And so that's why we have Katsa legislation that is meant to counter um, adversaries through sanctions uh, in order to prevent, or at least to kind of push our our allies away from engaging in business with our adversaries. And and again, you know, India and Russia have a lot of cooperation in certain areas. And so it, I, I they have no beef, right? They have no
1: beef. There's, there's, Sorry, just had to just had to put that joke in there. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> great but yeah they have no beef right and like i mean india and russia are cooperating and i mean is it going to be all that effective if india still decides to pursue the purchase listen there's india it always walks a very fine
0: line in where it purchases its uh, military equipment from and so i mean i i I, i'm not entirely sure but I, i think india and the u.s have a lot of defense cooperation like defense purchasing cooperation um i could be wrong but And there's not like an F-35 type program that, that India can be kicked out of. But nonetheless, I think it is important. I understand why you know, these senators are raising our concern because India is such a strategic country, particularly when you're looking at the Quad and also when we're looking at ways in which we can counter China. Uh, but that doesn't mean we can just you know, sign off
1: on them buying Russian defense systems. Yeah, absolutely. But I think now the decision is, who do we want to counter more, China or Russia? If we want to counter China, sanctions on India, I feel, could potentially counter our attempt to counter China, right? Because it could damage our relations. Again, I mean, it's, we haven't not sanctioned India before. We sanctioned India in the late 1990s over a nuclear test. And then we quietly let the sanctions go away because we were trying to win India over. And again, Remember, India is a country that cares very much about its autonomy and so on. So I think it's a very tricky line that the U.S. is going to walk, right? Whether you keep the sanctions on or you apply sanctions as modeled by the Turkey example, but then you're dealing with Russia, it's a very tricky situation. I agree. I, I imagine a waiver will be signed and that, and that India will be able to buy
0: this weapon systems if they so choose. Uh, but it, this is a headache for Biden. I mean, it's you know there is legislation in place, and so the Congress has said you can't do this. You can't buy Russian weapon systems, and unless there's a presidential waiver, which is why we have you know these members of Congress saying, "Oh, do it." Yeah. But anyway, um, a, another interesting story actually out of India, Andre, that I want to mention is um, a a threat within um, a state, the Uttar Pradesh state, um, the. State officials have said that they will charge um, Indian citizens with sedition if they are celebrating Pakistan's cricket win. Are you serious? And I'm serious. And this sedition carries a max uh, penalty of life in prison. I mean, it's it's quite crazy to me that uh, India, uh, of course, lost to Pakistan in in the cricket match, and so now I I know three individuals, I think three college students who posted on Twitter were charged. Are you you know these college students or I no no I don't know them no but the through the, these students oh, okay, were okay. A, arrested on on Wednesday and that they were you know charged not with sedition but with quote promoting enmity between different groups and causing public alarms close quote. So it seems
1: like they're they're taking this very seriously. Jeez. And I mean I mean also this is sort of a new honestly I mean, this is a new point in this sort of recent, not really recent, but there's a sense of a growing Hindu nationalist fervor in India. Uh, so, Ryan, who's the most famous celebrity, the most famous actor in the United States right now? Who would you say? The most famous male actor in the United States? Yes. Yeah, Tom Hanks. Okay, so let's take Tom Hanks. Let's make him brown and let's uh, magnify his fame by perhaps 10 times. And you have Shah Rukh Khan. Shah Rukh Khan, he is an icon of Bollywood. And when I say Bollywood, not just the one and a half billion people in India, but all across South Asia, the Middle East, East Asia, Southeast Asia. The guy's like known like by billions of people. And I will, you know, I just want to press again Bollywood's a huge industry. Uh, Priyanka Chopra came out of Bollywood before you saw her in Quantico. She was iconic around the world. But Shah Rukh Khan's son was arrested about maybe a month or more ago, uh, on a yacht, uh, because there were claims that he was uh, possessing drugs. And I wanted to touch on this story because there's a lot of controversies going around about it. Uh, He was, I think, just, uh, just given bail after being held for 25 days, just given bail. He was held in there for 25 days. He's about our age. I think he just graduated actually in the past year from USC in Los Angeles. But Shahrukh Khan is Muslim. He is Muslim. Uh, perhaps the most famous actor in India alive. Perhaps the most famous actor of all time from India, really. And a lot of people. There's a lot of controversy going around about this because a lot of people are thinking now that perhaps some Hindu nationalist elements. Have basically framed this kid for possessing drugs or they have mistreated this kid in terms of the judicial system uh, I recommend all of you to read more about this case there's a lot of controversies going around about this a lot of insinuations that there might be a religious or a political angle around this maybe it's Hindu nationalist elements sort of flexing their muscle against the most Famous actor who happens to be a Muslim in India, but do track this case because it seems to be the latest. I think in this sort of descent into more Hindu nationalist, uh, into a more Hindu nationalist country that India is becoming, especially under Modi. Yeah,
0: and no, it's, it's it's certainly a deep concern, and we we've talked about throughout our what in the worlds of uh, ways in which the the government has taken action against the Muslim minority uh, in India, particularly in in Kashmir. Uh, And so, yeah, I I suggest all of you to uh, uh, stay attuned to developments there. Andre, I got another story and this. I want to go back to Turkey uh, for a sec. Uh, And this has nothing to do with the S-400 weapon uh, missile defense system, but it has to do with President Erdogan, who um, over the weekend uh, has instructed his foreign minister before retracting uh, the dismissal, of ten foreign ambassadors, including the uh, U.S. ambassador and the German ambassador to Turkey, that he was going to have them designated as persona non grata. Basically, they'd be their diplomatic credentials would be revoked and they'd be kicked out of the country. He walked this back uh, and said that these embassies basically apologized because there was, you know, Erdogan is alleging that they are interfering in the internal affairs of Turkey. Uh, what they are actually doing is they are calling out human rights violations, particularly uh, with this. Uh, activist and philanthropist is also as a businessman, uh, Osman Kavala, who has been basically sitting in prison for four years and has not been convicted of a crime. And so the European uh, Court of Human Rights handed down a decision saying that this was politically motivated and that it violated the European Convention on Human Rights. And Turkey says, this is an internal matter, stay out of our our politics and threatened this, uh, but again, walked it back. So I mean, uh, oh, time and time again, I'm, I'm, we come back to Turkey and just
1: what a terrible ally Turkey is under Erdogan. I mean, unbelievable. I, I remember a few years ago he was going to give a speech at the Brookings Institution, and I love Brookings, but and the people at Brookings didn't know this happened. But on his way to the Brookings Institution, there were protests, and his guards beat up protesters in the United States of America. Think about that, foreign guards beat up our own protesters in America. How, how unacceptable is that? But, uh, Ryan, I feel like Erdogan's popularity is really sort of tanking right now because, I mean, Turkey's economy is in crisis. It's a terrible economy. There's a political situation going on there. And, I mean, I feel like this just might be Erdogan's attempt to look strong, to look stable, to be like, hey, hey, look at me, I'm a tough guy. I mean, yeah, his... His poll rating has actually hit an
0: all-time low because of the economic troubles, and and one is COVID, and and two, given like these, basically these actions that are acting out against, out really seemingly allies, has caused the Turkish lira, the country's currency, to reach all-time lows, and so investment sentiment in Turkey is out the door. I mean, no one wants to invest in Turkey right now because of the authoritarian tendencies of Erdogan.
1: Yeah, I mean, Emre pecker uh from the eurasia group he said quote i mean these what erdogan did with these expulsions was quote best at best ill-considered and at worst a foolish gambit to bolster erdogan's plummeting popularity erdogan has to project power for domestic political reasons i frankly agree with that
0: yeah and again we always come back to this question of why is turkey in nato I, I we all we all know why it's in NATO, but how is Turkey able to get away with everything it does while still being a NATO ally? I mean, it it is just befuddling and infuriating that I that the allies in NATO, but also in in the EU, are not doing more to put pressure on Turkey to stay within rule of law and human rights and just just act like you know the ally that it should be
1: absolutely absolutely speaking of nato ryan is there any news from russia last time we spoke about russia covid was sort of i mean really wreaking havoc uh they were going to shut down i think for a week the, the, like workplaces were going to shut down for a week and then putin's being putin you know as we always know but what's been going on there anything new anything big uh, it's getting it's it's getting cold in in Russia uh, not just the
0: actual weather which it, it does get very very cold um, but also just relations diplomatic relations there there's a continuing fight uh, over pipelines particularly as we're seeing this kind of energy crisis coming to a head around the world and Russia of course is a huge supplier of, of natural resources to Europe and so there's there's a the fight over the pipelines uh, we of course still have troubles on, in eastern Ukraine which calls into question the safety of of Russian gas going through Ukraine into Europe. Uh, And there are also mobilizations around Russia, military mobilizations. They typically have uh, some wargaming done uh, in the spring, but we're seeing some wargaming and movements of personnel in the fall as well. Uh, And and it really seems that given the domestic struggles in Russia right now, particularly economic, uh, as you said, Andre, uh, we're seeing COVID resurgences in Russia. And so Putin called. Uh, for shutdowns, for everyone to take some work off, stay inside, don't spread. Um, Russia has not done a very good job of managing the, the pandemic. Uh, it was far worse in, in the earlier days. It's We've seen kind of some return to, to normalcy, but of course, again, we've seen recurring shutdowns. Uh, and so that, again, puts even more economic pressure on the Kremlin, which will lead to even more protest movements as people are getting fed up. But the one thing uh, that we can all learn from history is that protesting or even going to war with Russia in the winter is difficult. Very bad. So
1: not, not good. It always, you it always seems like Russia is saved by the snow. Jeez, Russia is always saved by the snow. Stalingrad, man. Stalingrad. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Ryan, I mean, if you don't have anything else, I guess we can put a wrap. I, I do, though, want to highlight some of the stuff that's going on at the Aspen Security Forum. Uh, there are some great talks. I think... Uh, One of our former guests, uh, Anya Manuel, is the director of the Aspen Strategy Group. So she'll be moderating some great talks. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, our former secretary of state, will be delivering a keynote that's moderated by Margaret Brennan. We have a very interesting panel, actually, with the mayor of San Diego, Todd Gloria, who I know of, well, since I'm a San Diegan, called The Nexus of Climate Change and National Security. Also, some great panels featuring sitting U.S. Senators Jack Reed, uh, Mitt Romney on U.S. China. Very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. What are you looking forward to? Honestly, Andre, I'm just looking forward to being at an in-person event.
0: I mean, not only is Aspen Security (laughs) Forum one of the preeminent forums for national security and foreign policy uh, around, uh, but there are a great... Lineup of guests. Uh, there's some great keynotes by current um, Biden administration officials, such as the DHS secretary. We also have uh, the the Special Operations Command uh, commander there, as well as um, Mark, Mark Milley. Mark, yeah, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff will be there as well, giving um, uh, keynotes, and we'll have you know fireside chats and so. It's going to be, It'll be a fun couple days, and we will be providing you with real-time updates on our Twitter, at BurnbackPod, and we'll also be producing
1: some content that we'll have released uh, shortly thereafter. Absolutely. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a big week for us. On Monday, we're releasing a great episode with Gina Bennett, who was an intelligence and IC analyst. She was the first person in 1993 to really sort of sound the alarm over Osama bin Laden. So she really takes us through... Her analysis, her work on the Bin Laden situation on Al-Qaeda in the 90s, in those days preceding 9-11, and really shares a lot about herself, too, and her own experiences. It's a really great episode, one of my favorites, so please tune into that on Monday. Uh, I just wrapped up the uh, mini series on Sri Lanka with Ambassador Elena B. Teplitz, our U.S. Ambassador Sri Lanka, who's actually going to be leaving her post very soon. Uh, check that out i think ryan will probably record a small session sort of reflecting on the miniseries and hopefully we'll be getting more miniseries done soon but yeah i mean that's we have a big november coming up so stay tuned for that too stay tuned for that everyone stay safe if you're going out to trick-or-treat or maybe you're taking your
0: kids to go trick-or-treating uh, and as always we'll see you next week